Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and round its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold round it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations." It is most holy to the Lord. This is the word of God. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for speaking to us, revealing yourself to us by your word. I thank you for your spirit that has enabled worship already this morning through the gathering of your people, and I pray that we would continue to worship that you would speak to us through your word, even as I, an incompetent messenger, bring this word. Holy Spirit, you are fully competent, so would you bring this message to your people. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And you can have a seat. Well, as Steve mentioned this morning, earlier, uh, we are going to be talking about prayer, and I want to read something from a book by uh, John Bunyan. Well, it's, it's been printed as a book simply called Prayer. John Bunyan's a Puritan who's probably best known for having written A Pilgrim's Progress. And in this book called Prayer, it says, Prayer is an ordinance of God to be used both in public and private. Yea, such an ordinance as brings those that have the spirit of supplication into great familiarity with God. It is so prevalent, that's an older use of that word prevalent, it means effective or effectual. It is also so effectual in action, that is prayer, so effectual in action that it gets from God, both for the person that prays and for them that are prayed for, great things. It is the opener of the heart of God and a means by which the soul, though empty, is filled. By prayer, the Christian can open his heart to God as to a friend and obtain fresh testimony of God's friendship to him. It's a beautiful, like magnificent, uh, just painting almost of what prayer is, of what a powerful and beautiful thing it is. 
And I confess that I don't always, or maybe even often, think of prayer this way, in these kind of, of huge, magnificent terms. And I know from conversations that I've had with many of you over the years that uh, many of you don't always view prayer this way. And when we think about prayer, especially as something that is part of our spiritual disciplines, for a lot of us, the first feeling that we feel is guilt. The first thought we have uh, is, I should pray more. Or if, if you're asked, you know, what, what, how would you like to grow in your spiritual disciplines? Well, I should pray more. That's kind of one of the first things that comes to mind for all of us. And, and uh, we might think, you know, I, I don't pray enough, or I just, I pray, but I don't always feel it. You know, I don't have enough passion, or I feel like I just, I pray, but I'm always praying the same prayers over and over is what it feels like. And because we have this struggle with prayer, I'm thankful that God's given us this passage in Exodus 30 to encourage us in prayer, to teach us about prayer, and to sober us in relation to prayer. And uh, that's really the, the sermon summary this morning, is that the altar of incense encourages, instructs, and sobers our prayers. The altar of incense encourages, instructs, and sobers our prayers. And if you were with me when I was reading that passage, if you had your Bible open, if you're looking at it now, you might be thinking, did he read the right passage? Because he's talking about prayer, but I don't see anything about prayer in this passage at all. It seems to be all about wood and gold and burning incense and some little bit about the sacrifice in there. I don't see anything about prayer at all. And if you had that thought, if you're a little confused, then that's actually a good thing because it means you were paying attention to the text as it was read because there is nothing explicitly about prayer in Exodus chapter 30. In fact, there's nothing explicit in the whole Old Testament that connects prayer and the burning of incense. And by explicit, I mean that there's no verse that says the burning of incense is symbolic of prayer. There's nothing that's that clear. But every commentator, except for one that I looked at um, when I was studying this passage this past week, every commentator almost said that there is a, that this passage is really about prayer, <clears throat> that the burning of incense was primarily intended to symbolize prayers rising up to God. So where do these Bible commentators get this idea? Uh, well, it comes from looking at the rest of Scripture and how Scripture reveals the way that the people of God understood the burning of incense. And so I want to take you to several places where God's Word makes this connection between the altar of incense and prayer. Uh, and so the first one is in the Old Testament. It is Psalm 141, verse 2. It says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so David, who wrote this psalm as he was led along by the Holy Spirit, he sees that there's a symbolic parallel between the burning of incense in the tabernacle and, and later in the temple, that burning of incense and prayer. There's a symbolic parallel. <clears throat> and it's extremely likely that David wasn't the only one of the Old Testament saints who saw this connection and understood this connection between prayer and incense. And the reason I say it's extremely likely be, is that by the time of Jesus, 
uh, there was a very strong connection between the burning of incense in the temple and the people praying. We see this in Luke chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, According to the custom of the priesthood, he, and that's Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so again, we see this close connection that's made between prayer and the burning of incense. At the hour of incense, the people were gathered praying. But there are two other New Testament passages that make this connection uh, between incense and prayer, they make it really clear. They're both found in the last book of the Bible. They're both in Revelation. One is in chapter 5, one's in chapter 8. So Revelation 5, verse 8 says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And another angel came. This is uh, Revelation 8. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. A censer is uh, something in which you place incense to burn it. With a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So this is a glimpse into the heavenly tabernacle or the heavenly temple where God is enthroned. If you remember, the tabernacle was a, 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 an earthly shadow pointing towards this heavenly reality. And in this heavenly reality, we see that the incense that's being burned is actually, this rising up to God is actually the prayers of the saints. That's especially clear in chapter 5 where it says the golden bowls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so the Lord is revealing that when he established this altar in the tabernacle on which incense would be burned, that he was intending for this to point towards a more significant reality, that it was pointing towards prayer all along. Uh, The Puritan Bible commentator Matthew Henry said of this, Prayer is the true incense. This is what God had in mind. The prayers of his people. And so I hope you were tracking with that because I am going to be focusing on prayer throughout the remainder of the message. And so, as I said, uh, this passage about the altar of incense teaches us about prayer in three ways. The first is that this passage encourages us to pray. The altar of incense encourages our prayers. And it does so in a couple of ways. Uh, The first is just the location of the altar of incense within the tabernacle. This encourages us by showing us that when we pray, that we are drawing near to God. Look again at verse 6, where God tells Moses where, where he should put this altar. He says, You shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. So this is in the, um, the, not the holy of holies, not the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, 
but it was in the holy place, just outside that curtain that divided the two. So basically, this was as close as one could get to the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God rested, without actually being in the Holy of Holies. That's where this um, altar of incense was located. And so this is why John Bunyan said in that, um, in that quote that I read earlier, that prayer brings those that have the spirit of supplication into great familiarity with God. It's because prayer brings us near. It draws us near to the presence of God. When we pray, we have this incredible privilege of drawing near to bring our praise, to bring our thanks, to bring our needs to the all-powerful God of the universe who has infinite power and wisdom to meet all of our needs and who is worthy of our praise. We are drawing near to God in prayer. And that should encourage us that we can draw near to God. It should stir us up to pray. And secondly, the nature of that symbol, the symbol of the incense, that encourages us to pray. Look at just the first part of verse 7. It says, the Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. I just want to focus on that word fragrant. In a later sermon, uh, we're going to see that God gave Moses very specific instructions for making this incense. And in that sermon, um, We'll actually go back and pick up chapter 29, which I skipped over today. Um, But there are very specific instructions that God gives for making the incense that's going to be burned on this altar. And those instructions make it clear that it's it's not just a strong-smelling incense, although that is communicated by the word fragrant, but it is actually a sweet-smelling fragrance. It is a pleasant smell that rises up from this incense as it's burned. And this was to, to show, to symbolize that prayer smells good to God. It's actually pleasing to God when his people pray. And it, is this encouraging to your prayer life? If you struggle with the idea that, that God is maybe kind of just a little bit annoyed when you bring your prayers to him, it should be really encouraging. Because this... Rising prayer, it smells good, it's a fragrance to God. And when we look farther on in Scripture, there are a number of places where, where we see the, the, the idea of, of a fragrance, of something rising up to God and being pleasing to Him. But one of the most striking passages is found in Ephesians 5, in verse 2, where it says, Walk in love, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, saying, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ gave himself up, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Nothing could be more pleasing, more delightful to God. Nothing could be more gladly received by God than the self-sacrifice of the spotless lamb, his son. And Paul describes that self-offering that Jesus made. He describes it as a fragrant offering. And so this is, this is an amazing thing that in this way, in this one sense, the prayers of God's people as they rise up, they are in the same category as the sacrifice of Jesus. That is that they both smell good to God. They're both pleasing to God. They both delight God. They're both received and accepted by God. And if you have that feeling that God is annoyed by your prayers, if you think that God is... is 
like the uh, kind of dad that I am, unfortunately, at times, where I'm working on something, working on a project or whatever, trying to focus on something, and my kids come to me, and they, they have a question, or they want me to do something for them. But sometimes my response is, well, sometimes it's just I don't hear them because I'm so engaged in what I'm doing. Sometimes it's a not kind response. Sometimes it's like, I'll help you later, whatever it may be. And because of who we are, because of how we respond to people when they ask things of us or how we've been responded to when we had a need, we tend to think that God is like that, but God is not like us. God is our Father, but He's not a Father who's limited in His uh, ability, in His mental capacity. He can, He can hold all things in His mind at once. I can't focus on what my kids are asking and, and this other thing at the same time because I have a very limited mental capacity. God's not like that. God's not limited in patience. God doesn't get irritated. You're never a distraction to God. God is glorified by meeting your needs. He delights to hear your needs so that he can respond. God delights to hear your prayers. It is a pleasant smell to him. It's fragrant. And so the altar of incense encourages us to pray by showing us that God actually enjoys our prayers rising up to him. And secondly, the altar of incense instructs our prayers. And it does so in a number of ways. I just want to highlight two. The first is that the altar of incense and the, um, the rituals, the rhythms that God prescribed for burning the incense, it shows you that God wants you to draw near to him and pray regularly. Verses 7 and 8 say, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, Every morning, when he dresses the lamp, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Every morning, every night, regularly, Aaron is burning this incense. I think what this points us towards is that God is pleased when you regularly habitually in the good sense of of having a habit when you come to him morning and evening when you have these rhythms and i would add based on first timothy 4 5 that praying at meal times is another excellent biblical rhythm for regular prayer and it's true that we can come to god anytime we can pray anytime and we should i believe strive to make prayer more and more a continual habit throughout our day But that continual habit is most likely to be stirred up and to grow when we have regular, habitual morning and evening and mealtime prayers. And so I would encourage you to set aside time every morning, shortly after you wake up, to go to God in prayer. And sometime before you go to bed at night, go to God in prayer. Use these natural rhythms for all of us 99.9% of the time, we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to go to bed at night. That other small percentage is just if we pull an all-nighter for some reason and don't. But the next day we're going to, right? So this is just a rhythm. We're going to wake up in the morning. We're going to go to bed at night. Use these times to be markers in your day when you will say, I'm going to go to God to prayer at these times. And the second way, so there's, there's this... Um, rhythm that the altar of incense 
points us towards as a, as a, a blessing and, and something that's actually approved by God as, as, um, as helping us in our prayer life. The second way that the altar of incense instructs us is that it shows us that God doesn't require creativity in prayer. God doesn't require creativity in prayer. Look at verse 9. He says, You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. It's the same blend, same incense being burned every day, morning and evening. Uh, Aaron and those priests who would be descended from him, who would serve after he was gone, they didn't have to get creative and try to burn different things on the altar in order to get God's attention. And they weren't allowed to get creative so that they wouldn't get bored of this whole incense burning thing that they did every morning and every night. It's just the opposite, actually. God forbids them from getting creative. There's no unauthorized incense, and the only authorized incense is, is one blend of, of spices. And I think this can be really helpful for your prayer life if you have this idea in the back of your mind, maybe, that, that all real prayers have to be spontaneous, that they can't be written down, or that uh, real spiritual prayers have to always be you know, varied. They have to be creative. They have to be unique somehow. They have to be totally original to you. Like it, if, if it doesn't just well up spontaneously out of your heart, then it's not a real prayer. And that's not what this passage teaches us about prayer. It might be that if you have kind of a, a hesitancy or an aversion to pre-written prayers or repeated prayers that might be prayed more than once, um, that might be, for you, uh, a reaction against Catholicism if you grew up, grew up in that tradition, or other traditions where wrote, kind of formulaic, written-out prayers become meaningless because they're used as a, as a kind of a mantra or almost as a magical incantation. If I say these things, it's going to control things in the spiritual realm almost, or, or to say them as a form of, of penance. Well, yeah, those things are, are real dangers. That can happen with repeated or written down prayers, but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because something is misused or has been misused doesn't mean that it is necessarily bad. And the truth is that for most of us, the journey of faith is going to be a long one. None of us know how long we're going to live, but probably the journey of faith is going to be a pretty long one, extending some years. And nobody can pray creative, totally original prayers consistently over the long haul. It's just not possible. And really, for most of the church, throughout most of the church's long history, Nobody expected Christians to pray that way. Nobody expected Christians to constantly be coming up with their own spontaneous prayers that they would just bust out with whenever they felt the need to pray. The wisest saints throughout the ages have recognized the benefit of pre-written prayers, of praying prayers that are straight from Scripture, of praying from a prayer book, of having a guide for your prayers, of having an organized plan for your prayers. And I've found a lot of benefit personally from following this kind of wisdom. There, there have been times where I used the Valley of Vision prayer book, and it was very helpful to me. 
But one of the most consistent things that I've done is almost every morning, I'd say 99% of the time, when I sit down and open up the Word, I pray uh, some, uh, a prayer that is basically the same every day. I have uh, a certain number of scriptures that I have memorized, and um, they just happen to... I picked out these scriptures that I, I knew would be helpful for me to pray every day, and then I realized that they helpfully form the acronym KILT, um, which has no bearing on anything other than it's easy to memorize, and then there's an, a random O. And so it's kilt O is what I pray every morning, and these, these scriptures are all from the Psalms. I sit down, I open my Bible, I bow my head, and I pray, keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. Then the I, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. The L, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. T, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And then the O is, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And then I open up my Bible. I might, add, I might add something to that, depending on where my heart's at and what needs there are. But a lot of times before I open my Bible, that's what I pray every day. And it's true that there are days where I might pray that with, with little connection, where it's like, oh, I'm kind of just trying to stay awake and I'm saying these words. But I guarantee that it's far more helpful to know what I'm going to pray than to sit there and try to come up with, okay, what are the words that I'm going to say right now? I have God's words, and I can just say them. I can pray them. And as I pray them, God uses his word to change my heart so that even if I start out praying, not really engaged with what I'm saying, by the time I'm done praying, God brings my heart there along with me. And so the point of all that is that it's helpful to have God's word ready to pray to have prayers that others have written that you can pray. And so I encourage you to do something similar. Make use of the scriptures, whether you memorize them or have them written down. Prayers that you can pray from scripture regularly. Use a prayer book like the Valley of Vision. A pray methodically, meaning make, make a list of things that you're going to pray for regularly. There's a, there's a ministry called See Jesus. It's led by a man named Paul Miller. He wrote a book. He's written several books, but I think his first one was called A Praying Life. And um, this ministry, is, its purpose is to help the church globally to pray. And one of the methods that they really encourage is using index cards on which you would write specific needs or names of people and specific prayers that you would pray for those people and how you're going to pray for them. And then you just go through a certain number of these cards every day. It's just a, a tool, a method for helping you to pray so that when you sit down to pray, you don't have to just try to come up with something spontaneously because that often just doesn't work. And so whatever tools or methods you might use, I just want to encourage you this morning that the effectiveness of your prayers is not dependent on how creatively or spontaneously you pray. The effectiveness of your prayers is not dependent upon how creatively or spontaneously you pray. There's nothing inherently less spiritual about having a plan or of praying the same prayers frequently. And I think the truth is that, that we as humans are a lot more interested in 
novelty and constant change than God is. We get bored. God doesn't. In fact, the altar of incense shows us that God actually enjoys repetition, that God enjoys routine. That's what he set out for them to do, the same thing every day. So the altar of incense, it encourages our prayers, it instructs our prayers, and lastly, the altar of incense sobers our prayers. The altar of incense sobers our prayers. And the first thing that I mean by that is that we must pray reverently. When we talk about God delighting in our prayers, it might lead you to think that, well, you can just come to God then. If he enjoys the smell of prayers, we can just come to God any old way and say anything you like. But this passage actually shows us that that's not the case. God gives careful instructions for how this incense would be made and how it would be burned, and God is fiercely jealous that these instructions would be followed. And in Leviticus chapter 10, we see just how serious God is about this. You may know this story. This is Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. Again, that's something that you um, put incense in to, to burn it. <clears throat> he took his censer and he put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what made Nadab and Abihu think that this would be okay. Well, we'll just put our own stuff on here and we'll burn it. I actually think this smells better. I don't know. We don't know why they did that. But at the very least, it's evident that they didn't take the word of God seriously that they weren't truly reverent in their hearts towards God because they thought that they could ignore His Word and get creative and just kind of do their own thing, whatever they wanted to. And they paid for their lack of true reverence towards God with their lives. Prayer must be on God's terms. And the reason prayer must be on God's terms is because prayer is holy speech. Look at what verse 10 says about this altar of incense. It's so connected to prayer. It says it's holy to the Lord. Remember, this was right next to the Ark of the Covenant. And so prayer is holy speech because in prayer we draw near to God. And God is holy, holy, holy. And because God is holy, and because we are not holy, we can only ever come to God on His terms. And we see this principle of praying with reverence carried into the New Testament in the way that Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. If you remember, um, His disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't look at them and go, oh, hey, just, you know, God's your Father, just Kind of pray however you want. Say whatever you want. It's all good. Whatever you want to say, however you want to come to him, it's, it's fine. No, he says, okay, I will teach you to pray. And the first thing that he teaches them to pray is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He teaches them to pray reverently. Yes, God is our Father, but he's our Father in heaven. And our first prayer should be that God's name would be hallowed, that is, made holy or reverenced. In the world, yes, I think Jesus intends that, but first of all, also in our hearts. 
Our first prayer should be, God, help me to reverence you, to have an awe of who you are. As the writer of Hebrews says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And this reverence in our prayer is not disconnected from the way we live because our lives will demonstrate whether or not this reverence is real. We can come with an outward appearance of reverence. We can use words that sound reverential or respectful. But our lives will demonstrate whether that reverence is actually sincere. Prayer with reverence and awe is prayer that is offered up from a life that is devoted to honoring God. And while... I've talked about how prayer is pleasing to God. Hypocritical prayer. Prayer that doesn't line up with your life. It's not pleasing to God. In Isaiah 1, God speaks very strong words of condemnation to those who want to offer up incense, but with their lives full of unrepentant sin. This is Isaiah 1, uh, verse 13. God is saying to his people that he has given all these commandments about making offerings and burning incense. He says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense, the incense that he told them to burn, he says, incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. What is supposed to be a a pleasant smell, a fragrant smell to God, it's become something that makes him sick to his stomach. That's like an abomination is something, the idea is that God is, is feeling sick to his stomach because they're coming with unrepentant sin in their lives, and yet they're burning incense and raising their prayers up to God as if everything is fine. There's no reverence in their lives, and so there's no true reverence in their prayers. And God says, this, this turns my stomach. And so, yeah, we should, we should pray with confidence, but not with cockiness, not casually, not flippantly. We should pray with deep and sincere gratitude and reverence and awe from a life that is deeply committed to honoring God in all things. So we should be sobered to pray reverently. And secondly, the the altar of incense sobers our prayers by showing us that we must pray through a mediator. We must pray through a mediator. Look again at verses 7 and 8. It's only Aaron and then his descendants who can offer this incense So they are mediating the prayers of God's people, offering them up to God on behalf of the people. And unmediated prayer is actually rejected by God. Unmediated prayer is rejected by God. And this is an idea that uh, you might not like because it kind of goes right at the heart of our independent, individualistic, American nature. But there are two very sobering demonstrations of Uh, this fact that unmediated prayer is rejected by God. There's two of these in Scripture. One's found in Numbers 16, where there's a man named Korah. He stirs up a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. um, And he gets this group of people together, a group of men together, who are tired of Moses and Aaron mediating between them and God. They want to come before God without a mediator. And so... In order to show them that no one can come to God apart from, his, apart from God's chosen mediator, Moses says, okay, there were 250 of these rebels. He said, you come bring your 
censer in which you burn incense, bring it before the tabernacle along with Aaron, and we'll see who God has chosen. And so they do this. And just like Nadab and Abihu before them, you would think that people probably saw that and then knew what was going to happen. But no, um, they bring their censers before the tabernacle along with Aaron. The fire of the Lord comes out and burns up 250 of them. Because they were trying to come to God without a mediator. And then, to really hammer that point home, that God does not approve of this, uh, Korah and the other ringleaders, their whole family and all their belongings were just swallowed up by the earth. God made it as if they had never existed. And the other example um, of someone who tried to come to God bringing prayers or incense without mediation was uh, King Uzziah. King Uzziah, he decides, hey, I'm the king. Uh, God's blessed me. God's been with me. He must, he must approve of me. He must, he must like me. So I, I think I should be able to bring my own incense into the temple and burn it. So he does without a priest to mediate. The priests try to stop him, uh, but he goes on in anyway. And God strikes him with leprosy as he's in the temple worshiping He's not really worshiping. He doesn't have reverence towards God. God strikes him with leprosy, and so King Uzziah lives the rest of his life isolated, cut off from everyone, and never again able to go into the temple. He was on a lockdown for the rest of his life. God takes this very seriously. And so if you have this idea in mind of of who God is, as if, well, we're all just kind of God's children. Anybody can just come to God and then pray at any time, right? That's actually a lie. It doesn't come from God's word. God doesn't teach us that about himself. God's clear that even though, yes, he delights in prayer, he only delights in prayer when it comes to him through a mediator. And the good news of the gospel, part of the good news is that God has provided a mediator, one who can bring our prayers to God. In the New Covenant, it's no longer a descendant of Aaron. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us who this mediator is. It says there's one God and there is one mediator. One. Just like there was one in the Old Testament, there is one now. One mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. And here's what that means when it comes to your prayers. It means that God won't accept your prayers unless Jesus offers up those prayers him. And Jesus is your mediator only when you trust in him, when you trust in his life, his death, his resurrection, when you trust in him and nothing else to bring you and your prayers to God, then Jesus is your mediator. It's through faith in him. And Jesus alone can be that mediator because of the last thing that we see in this passage, and that is that we must pray with an atoning sacrifice. Let's look one last time at Exodus chapter 30, in verse 10. Aaron shall make atonement on his horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It was the sins of the people that required this atoning sacrifice. Their prayers offered up symbolically through the burning of incense their prayers actually polluted the altar on which that incense was offered up. 
And so God required this atoning sacrifice to be offered annually and perpetually as long as the altar of incense would stand. It was because of sin. And in the same way, it is your sin that requires an atoning sacrifice in order for your prayers to be pleasing to God. If you bring your prayers to God without an atoning sacrifice, you're actually just heaping more and more condemnation, judgment upon yourself. But Jesus was that atoning sacrifice. He is able to be your mediator, able to bring your prayers to God because he offered himself once for all as a sacrifice for sin. And this is why we pray in Jesus' name. I'm sure you've heard that probably thousands of times in your life. We pray in Jesus' name, and this is why, because he is our mediator. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So we should never take this lightly or, or just flippantly kind of tack that on, eh, I'm in Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name means that you are praying with faith, that his atoning sacrifice has appeased the just wrath of God for your sin, that Jesus is mediating between you and God, that he is bringing your prayers before God, and God is pleased with your prayers because he is pleased with his Son. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And then when you come reverently to God through this atoning sacrifice, with Jesus as your mediator, you can pray with great confidence. And the reason you can pray with great confidence is that it means your prayers aren't accepted by God because of you. They're not accepted by God because of how you've lived the past week or how you've lived the past five hours or five minutes. I mean, if you come to God without the righteousness of Christ, you are coming hoping that God maybe hasn't seen all the the stuff that you've done, the way that you talk to your spouse, the way that you cheated at work, the way that you, whatever you did. You have to come hoping that, well, maybe God didn't see that or maybe he doesn't care too much about that thing. You would have to come timidly. But when we come in the name of Jesus, we come boldly, fully trusting in his righteousness. You come with confidence because you come through Jesus, enabled by his spirit who is praying with us, who is enabling our prayers. And when you do that, when you pray through Christ, you can be confident that God delights in your prayers. They are sweet-smelling to him because he delights in Jesus. We've read this passage, I don't know how many times as we've been uh, studying the tabernacle, but I want to read it again, Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then, brothers and sisters, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need the altar of incense it encourages us to pray because we draw near to god in prayer and he delights in hearing our prayers 
It teaches us, it instructs us to come to God regularly. And to come to God and not feeling bad about repeated prayers, so long as we are praying sincerely when we come. And the altar of incense teaches us that we should pray soberly, with thankfulness for our mediator, trusting in his righteousness alone to bring us before the throne of grace. And so, praying in this way, be confident that you will receive, as Hebrews says, you will receive mercy, that there at the throne of Almighty God, you absolutely will find the grace of God and you will receive help in your time of need because God is eagerly waiting to give it to you. So pray, pray, go to him and pray, ask, and you will receive. As we, this morning, prepare to take communion, um, there are so many different things that this beautiful ordinance that God has given to us teach us. There's a different facet of it that we can turn and look at and focus on each time we take communion, and, and that's what we hope to do. This morning, I want to encourage you to think about how what Christ has done, which is pictured in communion, that this, this bread represents his body that was hung upon a cross, broken, and ultimately died upon that cross, having poured out his blood that is represented by this juice to bring us to God, to be our mediator, to be that atoning sacrifice, and this morning, think about the fact that it's because of what Christ did that you can pray to God with such confidence, knowing that your prayers will be answered. And if your faith is in Christ, if he is your mediator, whether you're a member here or not, we invite you to come. If you've been baptized in a local church, if you want to talk about baptism and why we believe that's significant, we would love to talk with you about that. Um, you can fill out a connection card or just grab one of the pastors today. But if you are trusting in Christ, if you've been baptized in a local church as a believer, then we would invite you to come. And this morning, I invite all of you who, are, uh, who come to take communion to, to just praise and thank God that you can come to Him with your prayers, all your needs, because of what Christ has done. If you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, then I invite you to do that. I urge you to do that, to believe in Him. And if you have questions about what it means to trust in Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you about that. You can fill out a connection card, drop it in one of the boxes in the back, uh, hand it to one of the pastors, or just, again, talk to one of us before you leave today. We would love to speak with you about that. But please, as others come to take communion, um, don't come. But I would uh, encourage you and urge you to believe on Jesus Christ. I want to invite you all to stand. The way we take communion is that you'll exit to your left and come up to the communion carts and then you'll enter back into your seats on your right. Uh, we have some gluten-free communion elements over here. Um, but you can take your communion elements back to your seat. Many of us will pray, um, pray with our family. Maybe if you have kids and, and, uh, and you want to take a few moments just to, to share with them more about the, the meaning of communion, you can take this opportunity to do that. There will be a song playing, so we'll take a few minutes after I pray. And for those who should come, 
you can come right up and, and take communion. But let me pray first. God, we, we are so unworthy that you would notice us. It is by your grace and out of your free goodness that you delight to hear our prayers. And it's, it's almost unbelievable. And yet it's true. So I pray that you help, even in this area, help our unbelief. Help us to believe that you delight to hear our prayers offered up through Christ. Help us to be more constant, more urgent in our prayers. Help us to pray with greater faith, believing that through prayer we get great things from you because you are a good father who delights to give his children good gifts. And we pray for a good gift right now that as we come and take communion, that your spirit would encourage us, strengthen us, that Christ would be exalted in our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen.